One of the questions I've been getting a whole lot is, okay, so what have you guys been doing around here, right? I, people have not been gathering here. What have you been doing? And I hope that you have seen from, uh, from the video early on, from our missions moment right here just a minute, a minute ago, the baptisms. My gosh, you can never get, uh, never get tired of seeing these, these young people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But my whole point in that is that the church has never stopped. I hope you understand that. The church has never closed. The mission has never stopped. Uh, we have continued to go into the community, make disciples of all the nations, doing the things that he has called us to do. And we want to celebrate that with you guys today, that the mission of God has never, ever, ever, ever stopped stopped. Uh, I've told you this um, <clears throat> early on, about five years ago when I first started at DBC. It was a young pastor coming into that new, pa- new, uh, my new office here. And I remember sitting there before the first Sunday and just praying and saying, okay, Father, what would you have for us in this church? I'm in over my head. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing, but God, would you give us a direction? And, and, and just crying out to the Lord saying, would you come give me a word for our church? And I remember sitting there in the quietness of that office, and, and God very specifically told me three things. He said, Aaron, be humble, draw near to me, and send my church. Get them out of their chairs. Get them outside these walls. Let the church know that the church is not a building. The church is a gathering of people around a mission that I've given them. They each have a purpose. They each have a calling to go into their communities, to go into their families, to go to their neighborhoods and their workplaces with the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples of all the nations. So whatever you do, send my church. Let them know that there is more than just Sunday morning worship, that Monday through Sunday they have been called by God to go in to make disciples in the many different ways that that takes place. And so I've been sitting here, and this has been a unique time in our church, and I'd even argue this has been a really, really unique time um, really in our country where the church has not been able to gather nearly as much. And I've been praying, and, and, and I think this is a unique time when, when we haven't been able to come and do our Sunday morning thing, and you've been forced to be back home and to figure out how strong is my faith? Is my faith actually a faith that can sustain me in the day-to-day? Do I know how to feed on the Word of God and in the fellowship with other believers and stuff? And, but we have been forced away from this place, and the opportunity that's been before us is that we get to go and be the church in the communities that he's put us in every single day. And I get to stand here, and before I get into the text this morning, I just want to celebrate a few things with because we have been seeing how the church has been the church regardless of this Sunday morning gathering as beautiful and great and glorious as it actually is. But we have been being the church out in the communities. This is he's always called us to be. And so my heart has been full of gratitude for the past, uh, for really a long time. And I get to share some things with you guys. Uh, but first off, I'm looking around at the church. And the first thing I've just been thanking God about, and I want to thank you for, is really is your radical generosity, as Brian's already talked about just a little bit ago. I hope you guys know um, in the past six months, uh, churches all around the country, they've been seeing a dip in giving for about 20% of what it typically was. Um, it's not just economically, there's massive fallout. Individually, there's massive fallout. Churches have been experiencing that fallout as well. And I'll just let you know that that has not been the case here at Dallas Bible Church. Um, God has been working through you guys, and this has been a fantastic year of giving and generosity. Many of you guys know back in March, um, everybody starts losing their jobs, and there's massive fallout, especially in a lot of the apartment complexes and immediately surround, immediate surrounding area right around here. And, uh, and what's happened is the church responded in faith, and we have a benevolence fund, and I'll just give you some numbers you probably don't have a whole lot of perspective for yet, but um, this year alone, we received over $147,000 given specifically towards our benevolence fund. And if you're not familiar with that fund, that is a fund specifically designated to people within our church body and an immediate connection to our church body that have uh, serious one-time financial needs. 
right? And so it's not going to be ongoing dependent support or anything like that, but one-time financial needs and crisis moments and things of that nature. The church has risen up, and I'll let you know, in the past few months alone, we've been able to distribute about $50,000 to our immediate community, dealing with rent, dealing with utilities, a lot of counseling appointments. Many of you know that we have invested heavily in counseling. We wholeheartedly support our counselors. People have been gifted by God to meet people in your times of crisis and moment and to be able to bring you through this thing. We've been heavily investing in that and helping families in and outside of our community um, in this time of crisis. And that is because of your radical generosity and the ways that God has been using you in this season. And so church, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, that is truly unique. We wrapped up our fiscal year, which goes, it wraps up the end of June. Um, so it's kind of mid-year. And many of you guys know that, but we wrapped up our fiscal year. And I'll let you know, it was the best year of financial giving we've ever had as a church before. Um, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a pandemic, you guys have risen up and your generosity has supported the ministries here and all around our community and stuff in ways that um, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do that or not. Um, it allowed us, I didn't mention this in the first service, we did not take part in the CARES Act payroll protection program early. Um, we had a conviction that God was going to provide, and we wanted other companies and other businesses to be able to receive those funds. And as a matter of integrity, we didn't want to receive from, uh, we didn't want to receive from the government that way. And, um, and so, I, again, I'm just, I'm just saying applaud. And so, church, uh, you'll never hear me as your pastor lay guilt trips on you to give and to say, hey, if you, you know, you'll never get the guilt trips from me about giving, tithing, or any of that kind of stuff. You just won't. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that God is going to provide for us every step of the way, and he's going to work in you on individual ways to compel you to give as you can give and outside of your comfortable means, too. And that has been the testimony of what he's been doing here. All of our finances, it's not about us. It's not building a bigger name. It's about seeing the mission of God play out in our community and all around the world, all for his praise and for his glory. It's not about my name. It's not about Dallas Bible Church or any of these things. It's about him and him receiving praise and glory. And that's how we view um, our finances and our stewardship of those finances. They are means to an end, a great and glorious end where he is praised and he is lifted up. And so church, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your radical generosity in this season. I'm also gonna say thank you for your, uh, the way that you have been fully and wholeheartedly committed to one another in this season. This has been a time when people have been isolated and alone. We've been hearing from a lot of people that the, the feelings of alienation and, um, and isolation are heavy and they hurt. And this is, we have seen the church body come up and be full, wholeheartedly committed to one another in a number of different creative ways in a time you're not supposed to be together, right? And uh, Zoom meetings, uh, you got, your small groups have been meeting through that. How many of you guys are sick and tired of Zoom, right? Anybody throw a computer through the window yet? Uh, I know you've wanted to. We've been, I'm about to throw this. Anyway, uh, I'm like, if I don't see any more Zoom meetings, I'll be okay with that. But um, they've continued to meet. Uh, our adult Bible fellowships uh, gave a, a shout out to a number of people last hour, Pete Berner, Gary O'Neill. Um, even Brad Cutrell doing a fantastic job keeping people connected uh, that way. Uh, beyond that, we have been doing outdoor gatherings for quite a while. Even though it's 105 degrees here in Dallas, we don't exactly have the greatest weather or grassy area. We didn't have access to the field next door or anything uh, to be able to gather outside. But you guys have stayed committed through communion services, baptism services, testimony services in the parking lot. 
and uh, that has been a thing we celebrate. Our prayer ministry has been alive and active through the uh, Gary and Nita O'Neill. I'm looking at you guys. You guys have been uh, Dick Simmons and Linda Cole and Wendy, and so many of you guys have been keeping that prayer ministry alive. The Moonies were in the first hour. Uh, just want to honor you there. The other thing I'm going to say is that we've, we, we spent a lot of time trying to mobilize care teams in our church to, get, again, keep serving our community, uh, especially here at DBC. And so um, I'm thinking of... Um, what we've done essentially is uh, we've mobilized life groups. Uh, Don Moody, Brian Radabaugh have been leading in this quite a bit. Trisha Mills has been leading in this quite a bit. Uh, targeting different groups that may be on the outside and feel a little bit more vulnerable in the season. Singles ministries, um, senior adults, first responders, new moms. There's a lot of new moms that are not able to have fellowship and get out there and go, and go be with people or anything. We've got working moms uh, working single moms and pa single parents that are trying to figure out, hey, I got my kids home now all the time. How do we do this whole deal? And so these teams have come together and intentionally written handwritten cards, um, meals, gift cards, flowers, and gone and hand-delivered these things to people to say, you are a vital part of the body of Dallas Bible Church. We need you. You're, you are the part. You are the body. And I know you feel disconnected. We love you. We see you. And you are a critical part of this body here at DBC. And I just want to say to all of you who have been a part of that, so many of you have been. Way to go, church. That is what it means to love one another. And Jesus specifically says, they will know you're with me by your love for one another. And it's exactly what we've been seeing play out. The last thing I just want to just, uh, just say, hooray God, praise God about, is not only your love for one another, but your love for the community. That has not been lost. It has not just been this insulary uh, fellowship here. I love my friends and other people like me. You have risen up. You have accepted the challenge and the call of God to go into our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do exactly that, to make disciples of all the nations. Um, we've been, you've been hearing me talk about our food pantry ministry quite a while. Um, many of you don't know this, but prior to COVID, we would serve probably about 40 to 45 families every month in our immediate vicinity that needed um, food help and uh, resource help and things like that. Since COVID, it's been around 80 to 120 families every single month. They've been going multiple times a month now instead of just monthly, partnering with the North Dallas Food Bank and other ministries in town as well, just going after that thing. Again, I'm going to highlight, and if you guys know Trisha Mills, give her a pat on the back, a, a socially distanced pat on the back, right? And just, but give her that virtual hug and, uh, and let her know your affection because she has been a rock star leading that whole thing for such a long time. Uh, Larry and Jana Long, been there every single day. Every time I've seen them, Kelly Lawson, every time I come up here and there's volunteers, Kelly's leading that thing. Amy Parada, Brenda Lakato Schaefer. Don't know if you're in here or anything, but you guys have been faithfully going into our community and doing exactly that. Many of your small groups have, uh, have been doing bridge building work, and I praise God for your efforts there. And that's what that means is you've been paying attention to what's been taking place culturally in the mass chaos and um, the racial divisions that are taking place in our culture. And you've decided that, you know what, I don't understand this. I don't speak this language. I don't know exactly what's going on because it hasn't been my world, but I want it to be my world because it matters that much. And so many of your groups, you've been engaging in these different readings and the articles and the conversations and all these different things that it's incredibly uncomfortable and it's language you don't know what to pro how to process and it's offensive in some places, but you're still pushing forward and you're saying, you know what, our unity in the body of Christ here, it matters that much. I'm willing to go forward and I'm willing to keep going so that it can be a better bridge builder and actually have this unity that we sing about all the time that crosses uh, economic divide, racial divide, political divide 
highlight all the different ways that we can divide today, and I want to applaud you for the way that you've loved one another in that way. Last thing is what we were celebrating this morning, just the number of baptisms. As I've been saying, the gospel has been going forward. People have been saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and going all in with their faith. All in all, since we shut down in the past six months, we've seen about 12 kids, 12 different people baptized this past uh, past number of months. And what I love about this is, is it's not t- typically coming through the church and our different ministries. This is coming through you, parents that understand that you've been given a responsibility and a calling by God to pass on the faith from one generation to the next. And it's exactly what we've been seeing you do. You haven't had this fellowship. You haven't had the preacher doing it or Cameron doing it or Zane doing it or whatever it may be. You are the ones that have gone into your home and passed on the faith from one generation to the next. And God is moving in power and your kids are coming into genuine faith. And we are praying along with you that it would be real, genuine, dependent kind of faith that will sustain them for a lifetime. But church, like that's That's what he's called us into. That's what he's called. It's not just a holy huddle that we come and do uh, once a week on a Sunday morning. It's it's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute decision to go and to live by faith because of what God's done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that has always, always, always been the mission from the very beginning. It has never been that we can come and have a great Sunday morning thing that everybody likes and loves and stuff like that. It is that you come here, you get fueled up on the fellowship of believers here at DBC, and you go back into the community on mission, all for the praise and for the glory of his name. And so I stand here today with a heart that is full of gratitude and affection for the work that God has been doing, regardless of the fact that we have not been meeting in here And I give him praise and I give him glory. And I want to remind the rest of the church that this calling that we're celebrating here today is not just for the select few that say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve in that ministry. Or guess what, I've got little ones right now that I can do. It's not just for the select few. It's not just for the people who've responded to a vocational call or something like that. This is every single call on every single believer's life that you and I would go and that we would live by faith every single day for the praise and for the glory of his name. And so that's what I want to get into this morning in our passage here in Romans. Romans is going to put it like that. Paul's going to say it like that in verse 17. And you heard me talk about that last week. because I'm assuming everybody's tuning in, tuning in online all the time. But uh, you, you, you heard, right? Uh, you heard that last week. And so we're, we're getting into this series in Romans. And what I want to do with Romans, I think what's fascinating is I'm finding that a lot of pastors are having the same conviction right about now. They're saying, hey, we're disconnected, we're isolated, there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of hopelessness, our faith is being tested, and we need to get back into God's word, God's word, the truth of God's word. We need to dive deep so that we can make sure that our faith is strong and it's able to carry us through all the chaos that we're living in right now. And so, so many different pastors have gotten into Romans right now, and we're learning about it right now, we're like, oh, yeah, we, we're kind of hearing the same thing. And that is my hope. Romans is a theological book that's going to take us deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that as we go through this series together, you're going to dive deep into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're going to go so deep that it's going to develop strong roots in you that will be able to carry you through the chaos that we're living in today. And so you heard us talk about the thesis last week. Paul brings it up in verse 16. This is his thesis to the entire book. You see a lot of fire and passion in his voice when he says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We talked about justification, sanctification, and glorification last week. It is the power of God for a holistic view of salvation, not only for the Jew, but also for the Greek. For in it, meaning in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. We see the righteousness of God. It's been revealed to us, and it's revealed from faith, but also for faith. 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so that's Paul's whole thesis in this thing. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's the same way what we've just been saying, that we've all been called to go out there and to live by faith every single day. Paul repeats it right here. Now, what's fascinating about this passage is that he's essentially, all he's saying is he's, he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. And if you know Habakkuk, this is an interesting time in Israel's history. It's actually Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But if you may remember this from the big story, but... Um, Back in Habakkuk, this is the time in Israel's history where they are about to go into the judgment of God. The Babylonians slash Chaldeans, same people group, uh, they're going to come in and they're going to take over, dominate, and completely destroy Jerusalem. And so this is part of the judgment of God. You remember just after King Solomon, uh, the kingdom splits in two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom here. And, uh, and so you get into the kings and all these, uh, and, and the prophets come in there and they're calling the people to repent because the people have fallen into idolatry and all kinds of sin. And so the prophets come in with their ministry, calling people to repent, repent, repent. For a couple of centuries, they have not repented. And so by the time Habakkuk comes around here, uh, the, the time for repentance is done. Habakkuk comes in and his prophetic ministry is prepare for destruction. That's his message. Prepare for destruction. Like, it's no longer repentance anymore. It's like, okay, okay, people, COVID's coming. But it's not just COVID. Like, we know how bad it's going to be. Like, the city's going to be destroyed. And the evil Babylonians and the Chaldeans, they're going to come in and they're going to take over power. And it's not going to be good. People are going to lose their life. And it's going to go on for a long time. And he says, take hope because they're going to eventually be destroyed. But he's coming in and he's preparing the people for destruction. And in the middle of that context, here's what he says. He says, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is, not, it is not upright within him. Speaking of the Babylonians here, right? His soul is puffed up. It's not right within his soul. But here it is. The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, like even though the nation is going to be destroyed, even though your entire world is going to be destroyed and in total chaos, the hope, there is hope for the person who will trust in the Lord and continue to live by his faith. And I want to be really careful with this because we're not, we're not Israel in this scenario, right? We've, we've got to understand America is not Israel. We're not God's chosen people in that, in that, in that same vein. Uh, we're not saying that COVID is the same thing as the Babylonian takeover or anything like that. It's not the liberals. It's not the conservatives. Like, it's not the same story right here. Nevertheless, the message is the exact same thing. Church, in a world that is full of chaos, there is hope for the person who will trust in the Lord and continue to live by their faith today. And I want to sit on that for a little bit because some of us need to sit and we need to hear that right now because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your world is chaos right now. I mean, every time you get online, people are angry, always. They don't even know why. They just wake up and they're angry, right? You read the news and like you read the left side of the news, you're going to go, oh gosh, that makes me furious. And you read the right side and you're going, oh, I don't like that. And you're like, every time you turn on the news, people are just getting furious, you, you pull up an email, you read these things, you're like, I don't, what's going on inside of your soul? I mean, I mean we, we've been away, it's been about six months since we've been able to gather, and, and for the longest time, like, a lot of people aren't going to be coming back for a really, really long time. Like, that's how chaotic the world is right now. Anxiety right now is through the roof. Depression is through the roof. Marriages are falling apart left and right. They just are, the, the, the tension, you know this. You know how chaotic the world is and what he is saying to us right now in the middle of all this chaos that we're experiencing right now is that even though the world may be in chaos, there is hope for the person who will trust in him and continue to live by faith today. 
Now, the good news about what we're talking about here is we're not talking about an empty kind of faith. When we talk about faith, it's not like saying, hey, I've got faith that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year or something like that, right? And we're not talking about, uh, I got faith that the Astros were being honest in 2017 and that was a legitimate championship. Like, we're not talking about an empty kind of faith right here. We're talking about something that's got substance and we're talking something that you can grab hold of, that you can define, and that you can actually live by every single day. Webster's is gonna define faith as this. It's gonna say, faith is a complete confidence It's total trust in someone or something. In other words, there is an object of your faith that you can look at, you can evaluate, you can touch, you can ask, you can observe, right? And and that can lead to a total and complete confidence in someone or something. Hebrews is going to pick up on this and say the same thing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction about things unseen. Again, again, we're not talking about this fickle kind of faith that says, man, I really hope this thing is real. I, I, we're not talking about, I, I, man, I hope God is really, I hope God really did send his son Jesus and this whole thing is real. We're talking about a very confident faith that is full of conviction here, and, and that's what it is. There is a confidence in the one who has made the promises, and there's a conviction that the things that he said are absolutely true. Church, this is why we love the Apostle Paul so much. We know his horrific past. Uh, we, we know the things that he's done. But this is a man who lived his life full of conviction. He knows what it is to live by faith every day with a conviction that these things that he believes about God, they're absolutely true. I mean, you can almost hear the passion in his voice in verse 16 when he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel, right? It's the most, one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. But he almost screams it. He's like, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not sitting there going, man, I hope everybody likes me after this thing. Uh, He's not sitting there going, man, I hope nobody thinks I'm weird because he's going, I'm not ashamed of this. Like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification, holistic salvation. This is what God has done on our behalf. I have total and complete confidence in this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He does the same thing in chapter 8. He's going to say, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that's still to come. Like, that's how much confidence I have in this thing. A little bit later on, I'm convinced nothing's going to be able to separate me from the love of Jesus Christ, from the love of God, which is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord, not death, nor life, nor angels or principalities, things present or things to come. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, which is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Profound confidence. I know the one who's faithful, and I have total and complete confidence and this conviction that the things he said are absolutely true, and then I'm going to live my life in light of those realities. It's what he says to Paul. Uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Again, I am not ashamed, he says. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know the one I believed, he says, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard me and protect me until my time has come. In other words, like, I know the one I believed. I know this man. It's not a frivolous relationship. It's not, it's not a thing I read on Instagram one time, and it was a great inspirational quote. I know this God. I know this man. I don't care that I'm in isolation. I don't care, like, the fellowship is wonderful, but guess what? Like, I know this God. And so I'm convinced that the things he said are true. Church, that is the kind of faith that can carry you through this chaos. And so we're not just talking about agreement here when we talk about faith. We gotta understand, like, we're not just talking about agreeing with the set of facts about who Jesus may be. James is gonna say, even the demons believe the right things about Jesus. They know he's the son of God. Even the demons know the right things. We're not talking about agreement with a set of facts, but they look at Jesus and they shudder. And so when we're talking about faith, church, we're not talking about an agreement with a set of facts. We're talking about being a people that are full of conviction, whose faith is able to carry us every single day. And for a lot of us, as we say those kinds of words right there, we've got to understand that like, this is where it gets hard because 
it's not exactly easy to live by faith today. And I think we feel this. We feel this tension everywhere we look around. But I'll never forget this conversation I had with a man a little while ago. <laughs> but he was telling me, he's like, Aaron, live by faith? Really? He's like, I'm a scientist. I live by what I can know. I live by the things that I can prove. I live by the things that I'm able to control. Anybody identify with that a little bit? You don't have to do hands raised. I do. Like, I love living by things that I, I love living by things that I, like, I can see it, I can verify it, I know that I can trust that chair, I know that I can trust certain people, I know these things, I love living by the things that I can know. And, and we've got to understand, like, there's a lot that's going on in our world today that works against our ability to live by faith. I mean, you think about this, church, like, why in the world would I need to spend time in God's word when I can just Google any question I have and have an answer in seconds? Like, why would I sit there and soak in God's word it's accessible on my phone. Like, why would I, if I get sick, why would I pray for healing when there's a medif- medication for pretty much everything that ails us? There's a CVS at every street corner. Why would I pray about that? Like, what do I need faith for in that moment? Like, if I'm bored, why in the world would I delight myself in the Lord and find my, my satisfaction totally and completely in him when I can watch movies on my phone all day long for entertainment? I can play games with people in China Right? Like, like, like the things that we are able to do nowadays, they're absolutely incredible. I mean, you got to understand, like we're talking about Jetsons kind of stuff, right? You remember watching that as a, as a kid? Like we can actually do FaceTime right here, right? Like the, the, the self-lacing shoes from Back to the Future, like that's a thing. Hoverboards are a thing. I mean, the things that we can do nowadays, absolutely fascinating. And yet here's the irony of it all. Even in the middle of everything we've been able to do, even in the middle of everything we can control, everything we've accomplished in our life, every single one of us has to live by faith, and we choose to live by faith every single day. You go into a loving relationship, you choose to marry someone you love, that is in and of itself an act of faith. You don't know how it's going to act. You don't know how it's going to work out 30, 40, 50 years from now. It is an act of faith to do that. This is exactly what Rick Warren is talking about when he says this. He says, everyone lives by faith. None of us get to see what happened in the very beginning. None of us get to go to the end and eternity and see how it all ends and then come back and live in light of that end. And so at the end of the day, he says, everyone's betting on something. Some are betting on a law. Some are betting on Hinduism. Some are betting there is no God and that we are all here by random chance. Some are betting on their own wisdom for the day to day. And then some are betting on their own sense of morality in order to save them in the end. As for me, I'm betting it all on Jesus Christ. His perfect life and death as a substitute for me and his infinite wisdom every single day above my own. And so when it comes to him, I'm all in. And church, it's exactly what Paul's saying to us right here. Church, in Jesus Christ, you have to understand, you've been given a royal flush. You've been dealt a royal flush on your first hand. I mean, he has gifted you his righteousness so that you can stand before a holy God one day, totally and completely justified before him. He is sanctifying you every day by the indwelling Holy Spirit and through the authority of God's word, which he's given to us, that we can read every single day. And he is sanctifying us and saving us every day from the power of sin in our lives every single day. He's given us the hope of glory this day we look forward to when you and I are going to be totally and completely set free from the presence of sin once and for all. No more crime, no more death, no more sin and no more shame. The old things will have passed away. Behold, the new things have come in. So why in the world will we not be all in and live by the faith that God has started in the first? place. Church, like there is a faith that can carry you in this season of chaos that we're in right now, but there has to be a profound amount of confidence in the one who is faithful and a conviction that the things that he said are actually true. I mean, this is what gets you into the whole of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. 
You know this chapter right here. This is a famous chapter in Scripture, the Hall of Faith. The whole thing is about people who live by faith. But we read about it. Verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And here it is in verse 6. It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and also believe that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In other words, church, that's what it looks like to live by faith. That's what it looks like to live by faith. First, faith believes, and then it moves. It believes in the one who's promising. It believes in the one who is faithful, that he is who he says that he is. And then not only that, that he's also a rewarder of those who live by that faith. And then in light of that conviction, it then moves in light of what it actually believes. That's the pattern through the entire chapter, by faith. Verse 7, Noah, being warned, warned by God about things not yet seen, and believing God's word, in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place. He had no idea where he's even going. <laughs> by faith, he lived as an alien in a foreign land. By faith, even Sarah, verse 11, was able to conceive, even though she was way beyond the proper time of conceiving. In other words, she was really, really old and had no business having a baby. But why? Because she considered him faithful who had promised. Church, this is James chapter 2 kind of faith we're talking about here. You have faith, he says, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Best way I can think to illustrate this is um, I was thinking about bungee jumping this past month. Caleb and I were out. Uh, we, we did a little trip out to Colorado. We went out to Cave of the Winds, and there's this little section out there where people are doing a lot of bungee jumping, and Caleb was fascinated by it. Absolutely no desire to do it, of course, but he wanted to learn all about it. And so I told him, I was like, buddy, I actually went bungee jumping before. Uh, any of you guys ever been, by the way? Uh, we had a few people that went, you know, absolutely terrifying and a ton of fun. Um, and so it was, I was a sophomore in high school. We were out at uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama on a youth retreat, a, a youth beach retreat in the summertime. And one of the nights we ended up going to one of these racetrack kind of places. It's got go-karts and all the games and fun stuff. And of course, there's a giant crane in the middle of it all that reaches the heavens. You can actually meet Jesus up there. Um, and, uh, and it goes up that high. And so I'm hanging out with the friends. And of course, they're all, they're all, they're all daring people to go do it. Nobody has the courage to do it. And so I was like, fine, I'm going to do this. And uh, by the way, I, yeah, I never respond well to dares. I typically say yes. And anyway, it didn't, didn't work well for much of my life. But um, that day, the dares came out and uh, decided, I was like, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And so they get me all strapped up. You got the harness in there. And, uh, and they took, put you on this little elevator thing that kind of goes all the way to the top of this crane. And you just keep going up and 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 up. And you get to the top and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see my house from here. My house is in Houston, Texas. We're in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I'm going, uh, okay, I can see the entire country from this vantage point. That is not good. Then I made the mistake of actually looking straight down. By the way, if you, you ever go bungee jumping, skydive, don't look straight down. Right, that's the point in time you start remembering and thinking about like everything you never accomplished in your life and that you'll never get a chance to because you're about to die. And like that's what flooded my heart and my mind at that time. I started panicking. I started freaking out a little bit. I was like, I can't do this. What am I doing? This is the worst decision ever. And finally, the guy comes along, and he just kind of, he's like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I, my mind started to calm down, and I started to go through this little checklist. And I look at my harness. I'm like pulling on it. I'm like, okay, that thing's secure. That thing's pretty tight. And I'm looking at the bungee cord. I'm like, that thing's huge. We're not talking about the little bungee cords we use in the garage or anything like that. That's good news. Um, that thing's pretty huge. Okay, that feels pretty good. I watched so many people do this, and it seemed like they, they lived to tell the story. And, um, and I started to calm down and go through this whole thing. And uh, I started going in, and I, eventually I had to make a decision. Do I actually trust these things enough to save my life? 
And I'm looking at all this material and I'm going, you know what I do? And eventually I, I walked to the edge of the platform and, and I made the plunge, just kind of did the swan dive off the front. My stomach stayed up on the platform while my body went straight down. And had the time of my life bouncing up and down the whole thing. I remember coming back down to the ground and my friends were like, yeah, we told you, we told you you're going to be fine. And somehow my friends had all this confidence about this. I'm like, we told you it was going to be fine. And they're like making fun of me because I was nervous about it, right? And I was like, I don't, I don't think you understand what's really taking place here. I don't think that you guys are the ones that get to go and to talk trash and to feel all confident. So like, I'm the one that expressed faith today. I'm the one that actually lived by my faith. And church, I think we get this, but like biblical faith is not the friends on the ground going, hey, I can tell you all about bungee jumping. Biblical faith is not the friends on the ground that's going, hey, I know where that rope was made. I can tell you the biblical context. I even know the Greek word for bungee cords. <laughs> church, biblical faith, biblical faith is exactly that. Biblical faith comes and rises up and it puts on the gear and it walks to the edge and it actually jumps. That's what biblical faith is. And church, that's the kind of faith that can carry you in the season of chaos. And so Noah shows us how it's done in this hall of faith. And I want to show you two people real quick that I'm going to get very specific on. And I just want to show you this real fast. But Noah shows us, verse 7, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. In reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Church, you guys ever look at Noah's story and go, like, this is an absolutely crazy story. I mean, you understand it's about a whole lot more than about a zoo coming on a boat and being able to pet lions that don't eat you and stuff like that, right? Uh, this is a fantastic story about the last man standing in a world that only did evil. That's Noah and his family. The entire world was so evil. Genesis is going to say, the, the, all, Genesis is actually going to say, they only did evil all the time. That's how the world was described. It wasn't just that they were neutral, they believed other things, pretty good people. They only did evil all the time. Noah and his family are the only people alive that honor God, worship him as God. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to live by faith when you're the last man, last woman standing around you? And nevertheless, in the middle of that time, God comes to him and he says, I want you to spend a sixth of your life building a giant boat for a flood that the world hasn't even seen yet. And it's exactly what Noah does. He says, okay, you want me to do that? I'm in. Because church, like, that's what faith does. That's what faith does. It stays faithful, even if it means that you're going to be standing alone at the end. And some of you need to hear that right now because that's exactly where you are in this season of chaos right now. You may be in a marriage, and I may be talking to some people at home right now, that you may be in a marriage where it feels like you're the only one that's walking by faith. And you've got a spouse that's wanting to go one way, and they're pulling you that direction. And what he's saying right here is to live by faith, is to keep standing and keep walking by faith, even if it means that you're walking alone. Even if it looks absurd to the people that are around you, your kids or your parents, they don't understand your decision to walk by faith. They're going one direction, but you're following him. Like, like that's what this means right here. To the person, like when, when, when they take the low road, it means that you walk by faith and you always take the high road in this situation. Students, I've been praying for you a lot this past week because this is exactly where you are. Many of you students, you started up school, you started up high school, junior high, especially um, in the past week or two. And this is the test that you're facing right now. Am I going to walk by faith or am I going to follow my friends? Is this faith that I sing about in youth group on Wednesday and Sunday, is that a faith that is going to carry me through the chaos of school and friendships and everything else that's going on in my life? Like that is the dilemma that's before you today. For some of you, it may not be school, but for some of you, it may be work. 
and, and you work in this environment with all this temptation and all these people that may be incredibly antagonistic to your faith, and the question before you is, will you choose to live by faith even in that environment, or is this only a Sunday morning thing? I remember talking with a neighbor of mine. I was incredibly encouraged by him a couple years back, but he was telling me about how he got a brand new job. And he, walk, he goes, man, Aaron, he's like, this is a really hard, I love the job, what I actually get to do, but the environment is very, very challenging. Everyone is antagonistic to the faith. I'm the only believer in this environment. There's so much temptation. There's so many trials around there. And so I asked him, I said, bro, like, how are you handling this thing? And he goes, you know, I've just, I got a name of everybody in my office and I'm praying for them at home. And then I'm setting up these times and I'm, I'm choosing to take them to lunch on different days, and when I go and I take him to lunch, he goes, I let him know that I'm a praying person, that I'd love to pray for them and their family, and I ask him if there's anything that I can pray for. Church, like, and what Paul's saying here is like, Paul's saying that like, that's what the faithful do, church. Like, that's what the righteous do. People who've been justified by God, they continue to live by faith, even if it means you're the last one standing. And the reality is like, some of you are there in the middle of isolation, in the middle of loneliness, in the middle of difficulty out there, what he's saying to you today is to keep living by faith. I don't care if you can't gather inside. I don't care if you have to wear masks. I don't care if it's uncomfortable for a season. I don't care about these things. Will you keep living by faith, even if it means you're the last man or woman standing? Habakkuk gets this, church. That's the other person I want you to look at. Habakkuk gets what it means to live by faith. I wanna show you the end of chapter three because this is where Paul's statement all begins. But if you remember again, like the entire book, there's only three chapters in Habakkuk, and it's three chapters of essentially doom and gloom. The Babylonians are coming. Chaldeans are going to take your life. They're going to crush Jerusalem. It's not going to work out well. You can't even repent at this point in time. And it's three chapters of that, and here's how he wraps up the entire book. He's, he's looking at the death and destruction that's about to come, and he simply writes this. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails... And the fields produce no food. Though the flocks should be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take God, joy in the God of my salvation. And Habakkuk's just looking at the chaos that's about to come. He's looking at the death and the destruction. And he's looking at the Lord saying, I know the one who is faithful. I know the one who is faithful. I know the God who restores. I know the God who rewards. Maybe now, but definitely still in the future. I know the God who is faithful. And so even though the fig tree does not blossom, even though right now there is no fruit on these vines, even though everything is going to chaos, everything is going to crud, there's nothing that is gonna stop me from worshiping in the season of chaos that I'm in. And church, that is where the majority of us are right now. We are living in times of chaos. We are living in times of destruction, and I want you to know that there is a faith that can carry you in this time of crisis. I'll never forget years ago, I was back at Northwest Bible Church, and I'm walking the halls one day, and there was not very many people up there, but I'm walking past the sanctuary, and I heard some noise going on in the sanctuary. I opened up the door. There's nobody in there except for one lady, and she was singing at the top of her lungs. I knew this woman because the past two years had not been kind to her. She was, new to, she was new to Dallas, suffered through miscarriage. We've been praying for this family. Miraculous pregnancy, months into it, disaster strikes again. It's loss after loss after loss after loss. And I walk into this sanctuary, and there's this woman standing there alone in a sanctuary saying, there's nothing that's going to steal my joy. 
There's nothing that is going to keep me from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the moment of crisis. And church, some of you, that's exactly where you are. In the middle of the chaos, you need to know there is a faith that can carry you in this chaos. And my hope and my prayer for us today is that in this season of chaos, you and I would cling to our faith, that we would be confident that he is capable of carrying us through right now, that you would hold on to it and worship no matter what, even when it's hard, even in loss, even in difficulty, that you would cling to your faith and see him carry you through. I'm going to invite you to pray with us right now. But Father, we do praise you and love you, God. You are a faithful faithful God, even in the middle of the chaos. When it's hard to see, when it's hard to feel, God, I pray that right now you would meet someone where they are. God, that you would break through the emotions of the crazy that's taking place today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen someone's faith. God, that it would be able to carry them, and not just faith independently, but you would be able to carry them right now in the chaos of life. God, would you come and breathe that life into somebody today? Lord, we give you honor, we give you praise. Because you've never been a silent God. You've always entered into our pain. And if we've ever wondered where you were in the middle of that chaos, we remember the gospel that in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our rebellion, in the middle of our rejection of you, you saw fit to keep loving us so much so that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live the sinless life that none of us were able to live. And you willingly went to the cross and you suffered, you bled, and you died as a substitute for us so that any and all who may come to you in genuine faith may have life now and for all of eternity. For the person that's living in chaos that has never walked by faith, never even had faith, I wanna speak to you today and say, today is the day that you need to enter into relationship with Jesus and start walking by faith today. He's calling you into it. He's wooing you into relationship with him. Would you simply say yes to Jesus? I believe that I am lost and dead in my sin. God, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. He died as a substitute for me. His blood forgives my sins, makes me clean. And I accept this free gift of life simply by faith. God, I'm inviting you today. Would you come to him in faith right now and enter into this life? Father, we do love you, God. We, we look to you in all these things. May your favor be on this church. May your favor be on these people. May we go and live sent lives all for the praise and for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.